Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Vessels. Um, we will be starting into uh, my, I got two Sundays here, and uh, we'll, it's going to be called Stage Set. Um, yeah, your pens and papers will be most appreciated because uh, you Take it home, look at it, study it. I will have to go quickly, which is nothing new. You probably already understand that. Um, I want to say welcome and thank you for coming here. This is very relevant. The Lord's put it upon my heart. He's actually been pressing it for some time now, uh, a couple months, uh, and and He's been teaching me and training me in this. And uh, and so we'll, we'll we'll jump into this. Uh, let's start with prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for your anointing. We thank you, Father, that your spirit speaks clearly to our spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you do not walk hindered in our lives. Father, we remove those things of sin and of self right now in the name of Jesus. We place it under the blood that we will hear your very words. We'll hear the articulation that you have for us. Father, we thank you that you've planned out and purpose for us, and we will walk into that purpose. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word. May we take in our daily bread today. May we grow. May we become strong. May we rise up and do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, stage set is the name of, that I have given this. And so, as in a play or in like a movie production, there's a placement or a setting that is the focus of the audience that creates the environment for what is to come. This here stage was set for the environment that is going to come. So what we have, though, is the scenery. This is the actual definition of this. It says the scenery and properties are designed and arranged for a particular scene in a play. So I want to show you some settings in the Word of God, settings that allow for a greater understanding of God and His ways, settings that are all too familiar to us. You're going to see yourself today. I do believe that. The, 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 uh, we will walk into some of the scenery and properties that have set us specifically by God in this act of our life. So we're going to encounter... Ecclesiastes 1.3, which says, I set my mind to seek and explore wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. That's what we're going to do today. We'll just set our minds. We, that, that, the, the purpose of prayer is to focus ourselves, is to meditate. A conversation usually requires like an interaction. I know we're losing this with technology, but I mean, and that's, I believe, the purpose of a lot of these things is to remove that. But when we talk to each other, we look each other in the eye. We focus, we concentrate. And that's what prayer does. Prayer focuses us on God. And so we look to him and we say, Lord, what do you have for me right now? And so <clears throat> we'll seek understanding in this first part of stage set. Stage set is actually a word. Didn't know, if you didn't know that, I didn't know this. It's a noun. Praying these things out, stage set. And this is what it actually means. Scenery and properties designed and arranged for a particular scene in a play. So your stage has been set. 
You've been orchestrated by God. And this right here today is your setting. Your life is your setting. The people around you are your setting. There is not one thing that is around you that has not been purposed at this point. You are in the appropriate place. If you're, if you're in a place that God's trying to reach his grace to you and he wants to get you to salvation, guess what? You're still in the appropriate place. If you've walked out and you've taken and partaken of salvation and moved to a place of growth and yet you're up against something, you're still in the appropriate setting and place. So I'm gonna use a different word uh, momentarily here. Don't get upset by it. I mean, some people do. Um, and when I go into that word, we'll change from the word setting to a different word. But right now, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to give you a quote by Dwight D. Eisenhower. And I didn't realize how good this guy actually was. I heard a lot of quotes, you know. I mean, I wasn't alive with him. Some of you may have been. Um, <clears throat> anyway, he, he wrote some real good things. Um, and said some awesome things. But here's one of his, his quotes. It says, there are three stages of life. Youth, maturity, and my, you're good looking. I'm growing up. No, I'm just joking. I only do that for my wife's benefit because she needs to know that. Happy Father's Day, anybody. Okay. Uh. Uh, Isaiah 28 in the Passion Translation. The, I'm, I'm going to read this, and, and this is, we're, we're going to start looking at some settings. Um, God is about to set a stage with this next verse right here. Um, listen to what he says. So Isaiah 28, verse 23 says this. Hear my voice, listen to my words, and pay close attention to my parable. What is he doing? Listen to my voice, hear my words, pay close attention. There's a setting I'm about to put right here. There's, right now, come on, just right here, focus, focus. I mean, there's a lot of things I'm going to do next Sunday that I will not be able to do right now. And this here is one of those things, but we're not going to do that. So, there you are. Okay, so verse 24. Does a farmer, we're looking at the setting, we're, we're contemplating, we're focused, we're looking. Does a farmer, Ian, does he plow continually at planting time? Just keep plowing? At what time? Does he keep? Oh, yeah. See, a conversation. You see that? That's how that works. Does, he, does a farmer plow continually at planting time and never plant a crop? Does he continually break open the clods of ground and never sow his seed? What time is it again? Planting time. So something's amiss. The Lord's saying, this isn't right. And if you wanted to, you can look at like the clods of the ground as, you know, it's a soil or human nature. It's who we are. But we'll look here, continue at verse 25. It says, and once he has leveled its surface, does he not sow dill and cumin? Planting his wheat in rows and his barley in its proper place and his rye in a patch? Those are all what? Is those purposed words? We got a patch, we got a place, we got rows. 
Dylan Kuhlman, or I don't even know, I didn't even study it out. Is that scattered more like seed, like grass? See, certain things are done certain ways. So there's a setting for all these things. We, so we, we talked about dill, cumin, wheat, barley, rye. Verse 26, yes, his God has instructed him. Who was the first person? We're talking? Does a farmer plow? But now we're talking about a relationship with does his God, his God instructed him? Whoa. We have to have relationships. Who told him the patch, the rose, the scattering? The Lord. So who sowed the seed? The farmer. Hmm. Yes, his God has instructed him and taught him the right way of farming the land. Well, I just throw all my corn seed on top of the ground. I just scatter it like this, and my corn grows. Anybody farm enough to know that that's not how corn's planted? But have you ever taken, I mean, what would you do to the person that's out there planting their lawn seed by pushing it down underneath the ground? You know, each little seed of grass, and they're, they're you giggle, why? I mean, it's crazy. You know what people are doing in their settings of life? They're frustrated with their Christianity because they don't know what they're doing. They didn't take instruction. They're out of place. They're in the wrong setting. Let's continue. Dill, a small seed, in case you didn't know, and I didn't, is not threshed with a threshing sledge. Nor is a wagon wheel rolled over cumin. I'll make a comment here. God knows how fragile we are as seeds of his kingdom. He will not thresh us, but only according to what is needed to lay bare our hearts and cause seed to grow. You are in the hands of somebody who knows how to take care of you. As he instructs the farmer, he has perfect instruction for you. If you're the seed, he knows how to take care of dill. He knows how to take care of grain. He knows how to take care of cumin. He knows how to take care of rye. He doesn't need to treat you alike. He needs to treat you with the individuality that he made you. Because he said in his word, that, you know, when you're faithful with little, you'll be faithful with much. And so he's not treating those two people the same. And when he gave out talents, he judged them according to what they could receive. And one talent, two talent, or three, two talent, and five talent. Why? Because they were judged whether they were going to be faithful. And at least God was a good judge, right? Because five doubled to ten, and... Two doubled to four and one buried it. So God is not, he is equal in his grace to you. He is not equal in his treatment to you. Be obedient and you'll see the good of the Lord. If you want just, uh, we'll, we'll, I can't get ahead, praise the Lord. Okay. 
Oh, I forgot to print something. Glory to God. Well, uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13 actually is a, a, a supporting scripture right there on what I... I was going to keep that all separate. 1 Corinthians, and you, you stay, if you're in, I, uh, I just even lost my scripture there. If you're in Isaiah, yeah, stay there. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says this, it says, No temptation has overtaken you, but that which is common to who? Nobody's been in my marriage before. Nobody's put up with my things at my place of employment before. Nobody's had kids like me before. Nobody has went through this illness before. Nobody's had these financial problems before. You are trying to plant seed in your lawn with your finger. You are an ignorant farmer if you're going to take these things. Those statements have no relevance in your life. There is no temptation that, that, uh, that has overtaken you, but which is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide a way of exodus, also that you'll be able to endure it. You'll be able to endure it. You've never been tested beyond, beyond your endurance. So when he says that dill, I'm going back to verse 27, Isaiah 28, 27, dill, a small seed is not threshed with a threshing sledge, nor a wagon wheel rolled over cumin. Dill is beaten with a rod and cumin with a stick. That's four different ways. Now, now let's, let's continue here. I love this. Grain is crushed and milled for bread, but is not threshed endlessly. One drives a wagon wheel over it. We got all these different ways of utilizing these grains and all these seeds and how they come about. But who is the originator of all of this? Who put the intent into place? Who created the way that it goes? God. But who did the work? The farmer. So it's that old analogy that as carpenter or in the construction trade where everybody says, you know, not everything looks like a nail because all I have is a hammer. So they're knocking boards loose, they're knocking screws in, they're digging holes in the ground because all they have is a hammer. But a screw goes in much easier with a screwdriver. And a shovel digs much better than a hammer. But you can turn that hammer upside down and make a mess, you know? But what tools did God give you? Did we take the time to learn? Or do we look like somebody that's out there with a, sh- with a hammer trying to dig a trench? Again, we go, man, that person needs a shovel. Do you see how this, God's very easy to understand. Okay, we'll continue here. Uh, verse 28, I'm going to reread it. Grain is crushed and milled for bread and is not threshed endlessly. One drives a wagon wheel over it, but his horse's hooves do not pulverize it. I like to say this. God does not crush the grain, but only freeze it from the shaft so that it can be utilized for its full purpose. He wants to release your purpose. This counsel, verse 29, this counsel also comes from Lord Yahweh, commander of angel armies, for his guidance is unfathomable, and, his, and the heavenly wisdom he imparts is magnificent. 
awesome. With great care and insight, God reveals his understanding of what he created, mankind. Designed with a destiny to reflect the glory of God. Handled with the utmost skill of a master. Whether we are referred to as seed, that is to go through a metamorphosis and become something entirely different. How does seed give its life? To give, I mean, it must die to give forth. We're to give up our lives. If you didn't come to Christ to give up your life, you're misled. If you came only to try and take all the good of God and not be obedient, you're misled. We sold it wrong. Because this is the, the discipleship. This is the, I mean, the, the, the course correction of God. I love it. I, I still love how it was stated in our uh, men's group. You know, you, there's only the whole thing of what I did not do in my life. I didn't kill anybody. I didn't murder, you know, murder. I didn't steal. I didn't, they, we, we, everybody gets their justification by what they did not do. But you know what? You don't get to heaven by what you did not do. You only get to heaven by what you do. And you have to do this. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and make him the Lord of your life. You didn't do anything to earn salvation. You didn't have any acts that are going to gain you salvation. You're not going to stay in your place of salvation by what you accomplish or don't accomplish. But it's what, that's what it is. That one act, you were saved by grace through faith. And so... We become entirely, we reveal the influence that God designed for us in our lives. That's what we're going to do. Reveal the influence God designed for us in our lives. Grain for bread, dill or cumin for seasoning. Each seed goes through a process that is intricately designed to bring about its greatest influences. God has a process for you. Will you go through it? so that you can be of greatest influence. It will always cost you life. Always. So now I'm going to change that word setting. I've been using that word setting. Um, so... I'm going to give you a definition. Actually, I'm going to do this a little bit backwards. Here's a definition, then I'll tell you what the word is, because this word has a tendency of just derailing us. We, we, got, a, we got it a little bit different. So the word I'm going to use for these settings or these stages, stage set, the stage is set, setting. I'm going to, there is an exemption from a rule or usual requirement. Now, that's interesting, right? But... Has anybody ever seen where all the kids in the class have to do this, but that one kid gets exempted to do that? Okay. So there's a, a setting, a classroom setting, or a church setting, or a, a setting in life where everybody's going to go do, but somebody's going to go do Okay, so that's an exemption. Another definition of this word that I'm about to use for this setting is a system of order, government, or organization of a nation, community, etc., especially 
as existing at a particular time. Does class last all day? So that setting what? Changes. So that time where, you know, little Susie's up there doing the drawing and everybody else is watching her has to what? End. And tomorrow, maybe, you know, Tim gets to do it. Are you following? The setting may have an exemption in it. That setting, that, those very words that we're talking about, that they exist at a particular time, is actually called a dispensation. Okay? Does anybody know why I kind of held on that word a little bit now? Because once we hit the word dispensation, where'd everybody go? Anybody got one word they want to throw out real fast? End times. Okay? And I'm not talking about end times. I'm talking about your time. Okay? We're talking about you here now. Take this. Hold it true. Okay. So without... (laughs) I'd love Herb to read this. So without engaging in a discussion on end times... Well done, Herb. That was an excellent answer. Yeah. (laughs) Dispensationalist or non-dispensationalist, I'm only using this as a way to categorize text. I'm going to talk about... I'm going to talk about some dispensations, okay? We're going to use this as a way to categorize text, not to change it, but to allow for an accountability of it. Think of it as not being able to allow sound bites. Has anybody, nobody's ever had somebody say, but they said this, and you're like, I talked for two hours, and that is not what I said. Because they took a sound bite from you, right? A little snippet, a phrase. They summarize, man, this is tough. (laughs) It's good and it's bad. We have a tendency of summarizing things. David was a man after God's own heart. What do you think he felt about his 60 years on the earth? Man after God's own heart. Well, yeah, but I all, soundbite. You know that David is the most studied character in the entire Word of God? More chapters of the Bible are given to his life than anybody else? I think it's like 42. can't remember. But, and why would it have been given to him? He was a man after God's own. Oh. Hmm. Maybe somebody like that could be looked at. I mean, Abraham has chapters given to him, and we learn... Oh, yeah, faith. Hmm, maybe there should be some chapters given to him. You know what I mean? We look at these things. Um, so we don't want to snip it. Have you ever, like I said, I just wrote here, have you ever suffered from someone taking a sentence out of your dialogue to explain the entirety of, of what it took you so long to say? You took... You lived and breathed and you're having this heartfelt conversation and you're talking about, you know, your life or dreams or goals and they're like, yeah, so they want to do this. You're like, I want to do I still remember a time <coughs> I went to buy a truck and I did, I bought a truck and I had all this conversation about it and uh, it was a second truck for our company. And I talked all about it, and I, t- I had this guy turn around after he walked away from me, and somebody else walked up and said, oh, Mike bought a truck? And he goes, 
Yeah, and he goes, why do you do that? And he goes, because you can. <laughs> and I'm like, so a text out of context leaves you with a con. That's worth writing down if you didn't know. Um, you can study that one out a little bit later. Um, when somebody takes a snippet, a soundbite, and they remove it from its original setting, its placement, they can so twist things. We've never seen this in politics, but um, they, and, and they can so twist it that it loses all relevance and is a blatant lie of what was actually stated. You've never heard anybody do this with the word of God, right? Okay, we're, we're, we're gonna look at one in a quick fashion here in just a second, but I, I wanna get through this. Um, to force the entire text to remain intact, or okay, wait, think of it as a, not a way to allow, think of it as a way to not enable sound bites, to force the entire text to remain intact, not allowing a snippet to speak as a whole. Um, we will be looking at a particular placement of some text in the Word of God for understanding. The big picture has not changed. The point of view has. See that? We'll drive down into this. Our perspective is a little different. So the long story short, this is to help explain the Bible, not to disagree about it. That's why I'm going to look at some dispensations. So, <clears throat> here's a... Uh, Quick one for you. In Psalm 90, verse 10, we have a, this is a, a psalm, right? Psalms is how far after Genesis? Nobody wants to tell me because none of us really know. But um, the truth is, it's, was, was Psalms, the book of Psalms is considered after Genesis. Anybody going to disagree with that? Okay. Who wrote most of the Psalms? Go ahead and answer. Who wrote another good chunk? Anybody else? Solomon, yeah. And then we got the, the uh, sons, uh, I just lost them. Anyway, there's some priests that wrote some songs and stuff. But Psalm 90, Psalm 90 verse, uh, verse 10 says this. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years. Or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. Has anybody heard, I'm going to ask the question, how long is long life? Has anybody heard this scripture in association with long life? Okay. Now, everybody that has an actual physical Bible open, even an app, I don't care, scroll up to the top of this psalm and tell me who wrote it, please. Who? Moses, Mo now why, let's see, this is interesting, but let's put this into context. Well, okay, let's just throw out the rest of the, uh, the fight. The rest of the fight sits in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, which says this, then the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. 
Hmm. So, we can use these verses or we can put them in context. Anybody have an idea what Moses was dealing with and what he would have been writing about? These were the children of Israel that had rebelled, that refused to do the the word of the Lord, and they were suffering or justified. They had a justified righteous judgment brought against them that said that you will not go into the land. What if they lived to be 120 years? It would have taken a lot. I mean, I don't know if uh, old old Caleb and uh, Joshua would have made it. They had to enjoy the land that the Lord said that those two would enjoy. I mean, he still went up and took a mountain at 80 years old and defeated the city. But you know what? 80's getting close. Okay? So we got two verses, but when we put it into context, we realized that the Lord had issued a decree. And this verse that says 70 and yet by strength 80 years old, when put into context and knowing it was applied to the children of Israel in the desert. Is anybody having an issue with this? It's the dispensation. It's the setting. And yet in that setting, two people were exempted and pulled out and put at the front of the class. And you know what that shows every time? I can't do it. I want to teach, and then I want to preach, and I just can't. I got to stay here. I can do this. But that's grace. That is divine favor. That is, that is God working on mankind. That is a divine influence within the human, within the man that he made. I mean, that's what it is. It's grace upon grace. It's, it's a blessing of God in the land of the living. It's an expression of who he is. That's what it is. And as Caleb and Joshua standing at the front, being in a dispensation and at the same time exempted. The setting. And so that's, we put these verses in context for clarity. Why was the first verse in Genesis 6 issued? Because man had grown to a place on the earth. This is Noah's life. And, and my goodness, I need like four more hours. Um, Oh, Jesus. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use one descriptive thing here. In Genesis 6, verse um, 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So, what would you do if somebody only allowed evil to rule and reign in their house? Are you going to say that they're a good judge? That they're righteous? See, God was bound to his word and his character to execute judgment. 
But, oh man, man, there's so much. Okay, I'm gonna, are you guys ready to write? We're gonna go really fast. Okay, put down seven. You're gonna have seven things here. There's seven dispensations. We'll walk down through this. I wanted to almost light them up, each one, and preach them because God is so good and he's faithful all the time. He's never changed from beginning to end, and I know that I can preach God out of every one of these things, but we're not gonna be able to do it. So here's the first one, seven dispensations. There's a number of dispensations that vary typically from three to eight, but I'm gonna use seven here, and we're only using them for context to create clarity, right? That's all we're doing. I'm not changing. You got a million dollars, and when you ask your accountant, they give you 72 columns, and they tell you where your million dollars is. You know what? This is in, this isn't. But you know what? It's all yours. It didn't change it. It's just how you look at it. So this is a filing system. That's all this is. So you can understand it. Like when you take that verse in Psalms and you put it into its place, it's like, whoa, okay, that makes sense. We're good. And so here we go. The first one is the age of innocence or a dispensation of innocence. This is from Genesis 1 to Genesis 3. And, and, and if you want to know what, this, what innocence looks like, it's the best description in this verse that I can find is in uh, chapter 2, verse 25. And it says, and Adam and Eve were naked and they were unashamed. And if I was naked right now, I would have some shame. I'm just going to tell you that. I, I'm just going to admit it. Right now, no matter what Dwight D. Eisenhower said, and my, you're good looking earlier, and now I'm like, I, I, I mean, I'm on a roller coaster ride here, and the wave went up, and now it's at the bottom. Um, and so, <clears throat> but they were naked and unashamed. They were innocent. Okay, innocence. That's from the creation to the fall of man, and we see that innocence was lost. At that point of that deception when it was followed up, innocence was lost. Part, number two, we hit the age of conscience. And this is from the fall to the flood. And, and so when we look in at the age of conscience, we start to see Noah, right? I, I, I mean, that's one of them. We got the fall, but as we progress, we now have every thought, every imagination was constantly on evil, evil continually. And so we find that their mind, what they're meditating on, what they're thinking about, what they're conscious of, is what they become. Because what you put before your eyes is your future. So what are you watching? What are you reading? Who are you looking at? Where are your idols? Your future is in your eyesight. And so... We find, though, now that there's, this, the, the, there's an age of conscience from the fall to the flood. And, and the best def description of that was 6-5 that we read. Every imagination was evil. And then, so the flood comes. We had creation. We got kicked out of the garden. We had um, a new, uh, uh, we, we got this new opportunity, and it ends up in a, a flood. Now we step into the flood is over, and now we're going to start human government. This is the age of human government. And we start to restore order, and we see cities being built. This isn't tribal anymore. This isn't that way. We start to see cities and organization. We start to see human government come around. And what do they do? They're on the plain of Shinar. <coughs> They're on the plain of Shinar, 
And they start to break, make bricks and they get happy about it. And they're like, you know what we need to do? We need to all stay together because we need to have unity and we all gotta be here. And, and, and you know what? I don't wanna walk through any stretching or ripping of my heart to see somebody go or to separate. I don't want to do these things. And, and then they hug and they pull them all inside and they go, you know what? Let us build a tower up to the heavens. Hmm. But God said, be fruitful and multiply. Cover the earth and subdue it. And they said, no, we will not. We will do this together. And God had to destroy human government. So he confused their language. And so we see again the fall of another dispensation. How did that first dispensation end? We lost the garden. Second dispensation, lost all human life on earth except for Noah and his sons and their wives. This third dispensation, everybody gets scattered because the Lord has... He's sovereign enough that his word will come about. Fourth dispensation. And it, it seems to get good, though. I, I actually wrote this. I, I got to go back to human government. It says man's attempt to, to never separate. God's call is always uncomfortable. If you care to know, it's always going to be uncomfortable. Okay, the fourth dispensation is called the dispensation of promise. And it's from the, oh, sorry, that was the Tower of Babel. Sorry, if you didn't realize that, the place, Shinar and all that stuff, that was the Tower of Babel, if, for anybody needed to know. Oh, and if you need those things, that's Genesis 9 through 11, is human government. Genesis chapter 3 through 8 is consciousness. And now we're stepping into promise. This is from Babel, the Tower of Babel. And this man receives a promise. Abraham, right? He's going to be made great. He's going to, I mean, there's nations coming out of him. Abundant wealth and provision is coming upon him. All these things. <clears throat> and, uh, but this ends in Exodus 11 with Egyptian captivity. So we see that man tries to attain through their own works. It's only through faith and patience you obtain the... So Abraham started this correct. But when they came up and started to proceed these things themselves, they found themselves in Egyptian captivity at the end. That wasn't God's plan. So that's the age of promise. From the age of promise comes, this is the fifth one, the age or dispensation of law. And this starts in Exodus 12 on Mount Sinai when God gives the law to Moses. And it concludes on Mount Calvary when Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. You know, every one of these dispensations ended in death though, right? Has anybody seen that yet? 
everyone was orchestrated and started by God and ended with the fallen nature of man. If you're left to yourself, if you're left to yourself, you need guidance. So, only Christ fulfilled the law and the prophets. Man's deeds cannot account to their salvation. That's what the law tried to do. You become religious, puffed up, puffy, prideful. Your deeds try to account for your salvation. Well, I tithe of my mint and my cumin. It's just, I really do want to get back to this, and we got like two or three minutes here, so we, we're, we're like pages and days behind. Um, you guys should listen faster. No, I'm just joking. Um, the sixth, the sixth, uh, the sixth, uh, dispensation that started at Mount Calvary. The sixth one that Jesus purchased is called the church. It's, it's actually Acts chapter 2 is when it starts. Acts chapter 2 is when it starts. And it's our current age. And this is the one, it's called the church age or the grace. The dispensation of the church or dispensation of grace. Right now, that's where we're at. It's from Pentecost to Christ's return. And it, 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 so in our current age, just what I wrote, it's just how the Lord had me writing all these different things. Our current age in, is an age in which man attempts to take liberties in spite of the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in a believer's life. They try to take it on because, you know, they have a right to it. Because we have a grace for it. Because God will cover it. I mean, it was just a little sin. It was a white lie. It was a, and we keep trying to throw grace and applying grace and then trying to apply grace. But you know what? Grace is called divine favor. So if it don't come from him, you don't got it. And so divine, divine empowerment has been made available through Christ. I can do all things. The, the, the seventh dispensation is the millennial kingdom which is uh, Revelation 20 and on. In each dispensation, Bob Yandian points this out, there is a common element between every dispensation. God starts it, man ends it. In every dispensation, God successfully begins and man successfully brings to an end. In other words, each dispensation begins with righteousness and ends with sin. Um, I saw this as a way, and I'm going to give you a, like a two, I'm going to give you three minutes here, and I'm going to go after this. I saw this in a way of looking at my development of my spirit man and how I grew up when I got to see this. The Lord showed it to me and said, this is who you are. And I went, whoa. And I started looking at it all. The, it's the road of my salvation. And, and, and I've been working it out with fear and trembling. This is what he started months ago. And he's been working through me. You guys haven't heard nothing yet on the revelation the Lord has for me. You've only heard from others. Just so you know. Um, these stages are from our new birth to our final perfected mature man. And ironically, here I am studying this all out. And I ran into a guy that was before, I forgot the name of the guy, Jonathan Darby, I think is his name, that is a, what they call the father of dispensationalist. Anyway, they created those things. And then how the Lord's showing this to me. And then I find this guy, and this is exactly, almost exactly how I wrote it down. This guy's name is Pierre Porer. And he was born, I mean, I'm a little bit late, but he was born April 15th, 1646, and he died in 1719. And so 300 years ago, this guy had an idea that I just got. Um, but actually, I got it first, and then he copied me because, because I found it. And I went, yeah, 
I think that that's what I heard too. Um, and so he, he, he wrote a thing called The Divine Economy. It's a book that had multiple similarities to dispense, dispensationalism. Um, it said that he was the first theologian to develop a dispensationalist this system. He taught that history should be organized in multiple dispensations in which God works with humans in different ways. Um, and so here's his seven dispensations. And I went, this is what the Lord had for me. Early childhood ended in the flood because what's more innocent than a baby? This is how the Lord showed it to me when I seen it. I was like, man, innocence, innocence, the baby, early childhood. Second dispensation, childhood. So if you're going back through those seven that we gave, you could write this. You got early childhood, then you got childhood. And we're going to get into some of this stuff next, next week. Man, God is so good. Um, childhood ended in Moses' ministry. Boyhood ended with Malachi. Youth ended in Christ. Manhood is the church age, or, or is the most of the church. Old age, human decay, meaning the last hour of the church, and then the restoration of all things, the millennium, um, where Christ literally reigning on the earth. That's how he saw it in 1600 to 1700 when he lived. And that's what the Lord, the Lord said, that these are the progressive steps of your spiritual maturity. Look at it, study it, think about it for the next week or so, and we'll come back. We're going to hit some things here. And, but you walk in as a new believer, and, and, and everything's innocent and awesome. And then you start to grow, and, you, and, and next thing you know is you start developing a conscience of what's right and wrong. And, and that's what um, you're supposed to do. And as you develop this conscience, then, then all of a sudden rules start showing up. And we find ourselves starting to get cluttered with our, our Christian life because all of a sudden our conscience is telling us one thing and the rules are telling us another and the human government is telling us another. And the thing is, until we hit Christ and grace, we will be frustrated. And so the Lord's been showing to me. And so if you, I, don't, I, I know I didn't get to teach much and I really wanted to open up because I'm about to unlock both barrels and pull the thing open. The preach is right on the next line, and you don't get it. So we're just going to have to, and I don't even think we get the preach next week because i got to get back to a teach so I can get to a preach. Anyway, but um, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that you are making things clear and that we're seeking understanding, and we know more and more of you and your ways. We thank you, Father, that you are making provision for us, Lord, Go with us. We know you are. You are in our future, and we seek for you. We thank you, Father, for speaking to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.